Welcome to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. It is Wednesday, the middle of the week, the 19th day of January 2022. You might want to bookmark today's program and reference it in the future because after I publish today's program, someone might find a way to cancel Steve Z. The topic, of course, is a topic that no one dares to speak about. It is the double standard in racism in the United States of America in the year 2022. I decided to do a deep dive into a subject, into an issue, into a way of life in the United States of America that might just get me canceled. We'll take a microscopic look at the double standard and we'll use actual factual data and information instead of name-calling, which is usually associated with any deep dive into such a sensitive topic. Now, what's good for the goose, we all know, is not necessarily good for the gander in America, especially when you look at the Democrats in the White House and in the Congress. They give you orders, rules, mandates, restrictions, regulations, and they refuse to follow those rules, those laws, those restrictions, those regulations. After all, they are better than you. Just ask them. They'll tell you. But the double standard also applies to the great racial divide in the United States of America. What's good for the goose is not good for the gander when it comes to race, where a double standard is applied to many, many things. I want to take you back in time to the 1950s. There was a double standard applied then as well to everyday life. And that double standard was blatantly, obviously wrong. But there were a group of people many whom were Democrats, who profited from the great divide in America. After all, if you build one school for a half a million dollars, that's fine if you're a contractor. But if you can convince the people and politicians that you have to segregate the population by color, then you get to build a second school for a half a million dollars. And you, the contractor, obviously in league with your friends in politics, get to double your money. That's what happened. Separate but equal, remember? Back in the 1950s, that double standard applied to everyday life. It was dead wrong. There were segregated segments of life throughout America that were blatantly obvious. Black drinking fountains were just one example. Back then, the black drinking fountain was a simple porcelain or metal sink with a metal spigot, and it spewed tap water forth, probably through lead pipes. That's where the black people were allowed to drink water. There were clear signs posted, black water fountain. Now, right next to that water fountain was an electric chilled filtered water fountain emblazoned with a sign that clearly stated, whites only. White kids and white adults got to drink cold water. Blacks had to drink water straight from the pipe. It was right out there, plain as day, a designed, designated, bias that allowed white people to drink cold water and blacks to drink tap water. It was wrong. It was completely wrong. But that was then. There is no such bias today. Although those in the African American 13% hyphenated minority will still try to tell you that systemic, blatant racism is out there for everyone to see. Back then, black people had to sit in the back of the bus near the exhaust pipe. 
Whites got to sit up front, which made it easier for whites to get on and off the buses. It was wrong. A bus seat is a bus seat. Anyone should be able to sit anywhere they want. And we as a society learned that and adopted that and put that into common practice. Now it's pretty rare to see a white person on a bus at all, and the black community calls that racist. There is no such thing as systemic racism as the black community is trying to lie to you and tell you, but there are some leftover vestiges of those days gone by. Those types of blatant overt biases like black only and white only water fountains, black only and white only bathrooms are gone decades ago, half a century ago or more. Overt biases, my friends, did not exist when I went to kindergarten in the New Orleans public school system in the 1960s. There were black kids and white kids and Mexican kids and Cuban kids. We didn't lump them all together and call them Latino or Hispanic. We had distinctive cultures in the city of New Orleans. We had the Irish Channel section of town called the French Quarter. The Irish, the Italians, the blacks, the whites, for the most part, had their own areas. And it wasn't because that's where they were told they had to live. Human beings naturally socialize with people with whom they have a common interest. It's common all the way back as far as you can remember. The band kids hung out with the band kids because they liked and appreciated music. The football players hung out with the football players. The basketball team hung out with the basketball team. The pretty cheerleaders hung out with the pretty cheerleaders. The fat ugly girls, well, they had their own little place too, off in a corner. The geeks and the nerds were shunned and relegated to other tables. The black kids hung out with the black kids. The Spanish kids hung out with the Spanish kids. Although I can't understand why, maybe it's because they all spoke the same language. Duh. But it wasn't called racist segregation when I went to school. We all sat in the same classroom. We all learned our ABCs, our one, two, threes. We learned to speak through a teacher who spoke English because she was educated to speak English in order to perpetuate the use of English as the primary language of our land. After all, the Tower of Babel fell when God changed everyone's languages so no one could understand one another. Chaos ensued and the tower fell, remember? Oh no, that's right. We take history and throw it down the toilet. How dare we remember something that happened? How dare we learn from our history? Those who refuse to understand and remember historical facts are doomed to repeat the failures that that history may have wrought. Black drinking fountains, white drinking fountains have been gone for decades, half a century or more. Now, why did I mention that? My adopted hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana, once was the home to Pontchartrain Beach. It was an amusement park, and it sat on the sandy shore of Lake Pontchartrain, and it was many acres of fun. It was constructed in 1928 by Frank Batt, B-A-T-T, and his family. It was, because of segregation back in 1928, a whites-only segregated facility. Now, it was maintained by the Bat family and later by the Orleans Parish Levy Board. This park featured roller coasters and log flume rides and a sky lift. 
amusement park foods and drinks and games and entertainment opportunities. There were stages where live music concerts were held, fireworks shows, all the fun of the midway that you would imagine at any amusement park. Now, I'm not trying to say I wish we would all segregate by race, so don't say, that's what Steve Z is saying. I'm just pointing out a fact. The place was not destroyed. It was not torn up. It was not filled with litter and graffiti. Sure, there was an occasional wooden park bench that some white kid, because that's all that were allowed in there were white people, would carve his initials in the paint on a park bench. But guess what? The maintenance crew would be there, at least on a weekly basis, maintaining, cleaning, painting. The place was very nice, very enjoyable. There was no amusement park for black people in 1928. In fact, it wasn't until 1939 that separate but equal, the beginning of what everyone calls the evil Jim Crow era, came to be. And the beneficiary of that Jim Crow era was Lincoln Beach identically built on an identically sized piece of land a little bit east of Pontchartrain Beach on the same Lake Pontchartrain. They actually had a nicer beach area than Lake Pontchartrain's Pontchartrain Beach for the white people. It also featured roller coasters and log flume rides and games and the usual amusement park entertainment items and fare and food and drink. Pontchartrain Beach had been well maintained and taken care of by its patrons and operated, pardon my pun, in the black from 1926 until the late 1970s. After integration, the damage brought to that park was more than the maintenance crew of the Orleans Levy Board could afford to do anymore. The park fell into disrepair and eventually closed in 1983. 57 years of operating successfully with well-cared-for facilities. Oh, sure, there was a handful of fistfights broken up by park operators over the decades, but overall a very clean track record at Pontchartrain Beach. The final 18 years, after everyone and anyone was allowed in, after desegregation, the Lincoln Beach facility, the all-black park, fell into further disrepair. After all, it had only operated since 1939 and closed 26 years later in 1965. But the place was destroyed. It was in really bad shape with vandalism, graffiti, criminal damage to property occurring all the time, and you couldn't blame the white people. They weren't allowed in Lincoln Beach. The whites had the Pontchartrain Beach, the cared-for, non-littered, non-graffitied amusement park. Part of the reason for the closure of Pontchartrain Beach, according to historians in New Orleans, was because as soon as integration occurred, more destruction, more cleanup costs, physical damage to the park became the order of the day. The park eventually closed. Now, Lincoln Beach had closed in 1965 after integration. People going through that park said, oh my God, I can't believe these parks were identical, but look how bad a condition this Lincoln Beach is. People carved out whole sections of park benches, painted on walls, kicked in doorways, tore the sinks out of the bathrooms. Why? Why would you do that to your own park? It was a black-only amusement park. And when I say separate but equal, I'm telling you, my friends, I mean it in every sense of the phrase. Same footprint, identical rides, identical attractions, food and drink options, entertainment venues, etc. Now, some of the entertainment 
might have been different based on musical tastes between the black community and the white community in New Orleans, but the facilities were identical. Same construction materials, same methods, same amount of paint, same amount of employees, but one huge difference. Lincoln Beach was destroyed from within, constantly and continuously. Stabbings and fights and all types of criminal activity. We know it wasn't white people going in there to damage things, to steal things, to vandalize the coin-operated skee-ball games, to litter, to destroy the bathrooms, to abuse drugs, commit sexual assaults, fight, stab, and even shoot people. It was, after all, a black-only facility. Lincoln Beach, as I said, closed its doors in 1965. It was in far, far worse condition after only 26 years in operation, and it was destroyed by its own patrons. Like I said, Pontchartrain Beach lasted 57 years and was closed down after integration when all of the destruction started to rear its ugly head. Pontchartrain Beach facility was torn down and office buildings, government buildings, the University of New Orleans took over that plot of land where the Zephyr, the Wild Mouse, the Tilt-A-Whirl, the Raging Cajun and other rides had once sat, where groups like KC and the Sunshine Band had played upon the stage. But the skeletal remains of Lincoln Beach, the former black-only beach, remain, even to this day in New Orleans East, a grim reminder of the destruction wrought by a group of people who were the only people allowed to patronize that facility. That part of the city, New Orleans East, is widely known as a huge, major crime area with drug trafficking, shootings, carjacking, stabbings, drug abuse, rape, reported on the evening news every single night for the last 40 or 50 years that I can remember. And that's a shame. Over the years, there have been multiple discussions about possibly resurrecting the skeletal remains of Lincoln Beach, but each time the subject comes up, groups of hyphenated American 13% minorities, the group who would most highly benefit from such a revamping, were shot down by those race baiters who call up the segregationist history of the facility, and the plans are simply scuttled for another 8 to 10 years. Now, New Orleans did allow another amusement park to be built, and it was done on the extreme eastern edge of the New Orleans East Swamp, Jazzland. But after multiple shootings, stabbings, crime, political corruption, and of course a little embezzlement on the part of its operators, that facility eventually sold to Six Flags, who learned very quickly that New Orleans East is a criminal beast, and they were so happy that Hurricane Katrina came and destroyed the new Six Flags facility in New Orleans East. They took their insurance money, went back to Texas, and said never again. They were one of the many businesses who were thankful for the destruction of Hurricane Katrina as an excuse to get the hell out of the crime-ridden city of New Orleans. All right, I've gotten off topic. Let's get to the double standard in today's society, as I promised, and I apologize if you become offended at these truths, but as our program's name implies, sometimes the truth hurts, so I retract nothing. We'll start with the dreaded N-word. They can say it, you cannot. They being the 13% hyphenated American minority. They can say it, you cannot, period. I don't care if you're even quoting a speech, a song lyric, repeating what someone just called you. If you're not a hyphenated American 13% minority, you cannot say, whisper, shout, sing, or even think of using the N-word. It's okay for them in rap music, hate speech, name-calling, threats, literature. As long as it comes from black mouths, it's okay. They can say the N-word, you cannot. Cracker? Oh, that's quite all right for them to call you a cracker. 
even though you might be offended, honky. They say you can't possibly understand the difference between the usage of the N-word and they're calling you cracker, honky, white bread. They don't care if you're offended. Society doesn't give a damn if you're offended. So they get away with that double standard. United Negro College Fund? Sure, it's perfectly okay to raise money to send black kids to college. A United White College Fund? Absolutely not. Racist on its face, and you are racist for even thinking about it. It doesn't matter if that white kid comes from a broken home, a single-parent household, or if they make below the poverty line. Tough it out, white boy. Miss Black America pageant. Perfectly okay to parade brown sugar out on the stage, right? Miss White America pageant? Racist. Why would you even think about holding a racist event that would exclude women of color? Is the white segment of America afraid that mocha, coca, chakalaka, yaya would be too much for them? Congressional Black Caucus. Fine, I have no problem with a Congressional Black Caucus if they want to get together and talk about issues that affect something called the black community. But a Congressional White Caucus? Racist! How dare you even think of putting a group of lawmakers together to promote anything that might help white people, even the most disadvantaged economically? After all, white communities are racist, but black communities are just fine. Are they really fine? Black lives matter. Okay, I agree. Black lives do matter. But what about white lives matter? Nope, that's racist. That's been the message ever since the criminal thug animal George Floyd, that drug-dealing, armed-robbing, counterfeit-passing, overdose heart attack victim, died while being arrested for committing a crime. Blue lives matter? How dare you? Psst, newsflash. There are a lot of black cops whose blue lives matter. How about the Black Panthers? Fine. How about any white group? Nope, white supremacist haters. The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. That's perfectly fine, right? Not racist at all, right? The NAAWP, the National Association for the Advancement of White People, obviously racist. Okay, I'll give you that one. Former KKK leader David Duke created that. But he did so to show the double standard to point out the hypocrisy. How about the National Urban League? Sounds innocuous, harmless, but by its own admission, founded in 1910, the National Urban League uses programs, research, and advocacy to advance civil rights for people of color. Can there be a National White League? No, that would be racist. Let's talk about a program which I despise. It's called Affirmative Action. Once upon a time, I applied for a job at a large brown package delivery company who shall remain nameless. In 1982, I applied for a job. The economy in New Orleans, Louisiana, and the state, and the whole country for that matter, was in the toilet thanks to Jimmy Carter and his Joe Biden-esque economy. I was actually told that they could not hire me because I was white. And I asked them, isn't that racist? And they said, no, it's affirmative action. After all, they were told by the federal government that in order to continue delivering packages to government entities, they had a quota to fill. They had to fill a number of positions with black people. Qualified or not, didn't matter. As long as their skin was black or brown, they would get the job. After all, they could be trained to drive a truck and deliver a package, right? I was qualified. I had a proper driver's license, no criminal record, a verifiable work history. 
a decent educational background. Nope. The human resource manager looked from side to side and actually whispered, I'm sorry, I can't hire a white person until we meet our quota of black people. At that time, by the way, 1982, the population of Jefferson Parish, Louisiana was about 93 to 95% white. But he told me he had to have a 50-50 ratio of black to white employees. How in the hell was that fair and equitable? Trying to play catch up maybe? Should not the makeup of any company reflect the makeup of the population with an asterisk? Those who work there must be qualified, educated, and capable of doing the job? How the hell is that fair and equitable? Apparently, there was this affirmative action deal back then that said until we catch up, we can't hire any white people. And I don't think they've hired a whole lot of white people since then. Just say it. The thought process at that time was if we can fill the 50-50 ratio of blacks to whites, we could get more unemployed black people off the streets, which might reduce crime. It didn't work. It still doesn't work. It cannot work until we fix the real problem. Now, no broadcaster will ever dare to speak about the real problem. In fact, no broadcaster, no publisher will dare to say on the record or out loud in print or even in a whisper what the real issue is in America. You know, if he weren't such a pandering liberal, perhaps the uber-rich son of the Vanderbilt Empire on CNN could afford financially to speak about the actual factual truth about what the hell the real problem is. But aside from being yanked off the air, having his personal wealth attacked, there is the personal safety and simple survival aspect of keeping hush-hush about the truth. Even I, your magnanimous host of the Truth Hurts program, am reticent about saying the words that dare not be spoken because I actually enjoy having my personal safety, my family's safety, my property, my job, my livelihood, my ability to walk out in public held intact. And even though this is the Truth Hurts program, I'm smart enough to not utter those words that dare not be spoken in public. But in the back rooms of smoke-filled bars and pubs and taverns, in the privacy of our own thoughts, in the usual campfire conversations with your closest friends and relatives, in those break room times where you look over your shoulders in each direction to make sure nobody else can hear you, we know what the problem is. We know, but we rarely dare to utter the words. Because saying the truth could cost you a job. Speaking the truth could cost you damage or destruction of your personal property. Or it could cost you your very life if the wrong person hears you speaking the truth. Yes, you can bitch and whine and piss and moan and complain about all the quotas, the double standards, the welfare, the entitlements, the handouts, the special programs for certain minorities that you can never benefit from, the scholarships, the pageants, the award shows. By the way, the only reason that Stevie Wonder has more music awards than Paul McCartney is Paul McCartney does not qualify for the Black Musician of the Year Award. Take that to the bank, my friends. Speaking the truth, talking about the real problem in our country comes at great risk. If you enjoy your job, perhaps someone at your job might envy you, your job, your position, the nice things you've worked for. Perhaps that person is actively or even passively seeking an opportunity to shut you down and be able to move into your job, your office, your position. You know, there are people like that of all races and all genders. Someone envious of the hard work you did and the level of achievement you've accomplished. So they want to go to your level. 
but they don't want to work hard like you did. They want to stoop to name-calling, accusations, and they will use your words against you. If you ever in your life uttered the N-word or referred to any of the actual factual information regarding who in our nation is committing the overwhelming majority of crimes, you could become an instant target. All that envious co-worker has to do is casually mention your vocal disdain for the status quo to a member of management or a member of a certain minority, and you will become instantly labeled, targeted as a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, a transphobe, or some other disparaging name. And then they simply eliminate you to avoid any controversy. A simple question like, why don't the news reporters ever mention the description of criminal suspects anymore? Or, if they give a description of the suspect, people will know who to look out for. A simple utterance of those two statements or questions could land you in the ranks of the labeled racist unemployed, the canceled, the outcast, the demon, the villain. The news media has no problem whatsoever in describing in vivid detail the exact description of a white suspect who robs a bank or kidnaps a child. They'll say, the suspect is a 25-year-old white male with blonde hair, green eyes, 6 feet 2 inches tall, 190 pounds, with a scar over his left eye and a tattoo on his left arm that says hate, last seen wearing blue jeans and a red flannel shirt and a red MAGA baseball hat with black Converse sneakers. He was last seen driving eastbound on Interstate 10 in a 2004 red Chevy pickup truck with a dent in the tailgate and a rebel flag in the back window. If you see this man, please call Crime Stoppers. When the suspect, however, is a hyphenated American 13% minority, the media conveniently leaves out many of the descriptors that would help police find this person. You'll commonly hear, a suspect reportedly left the scene headed eastbound on Interstate 10. If you know anything, please call the police at blah, 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 blah. They don't give a description like dark-skinned or light-skinned African-American man with an afro or a shaved head. They don't mention that he's five foot nine to six feet two tall, gray hoodie. No, sir. To do that would be racist, right? And that, boys and girls, is why so very many non-white suspects remain at large, simply disappear left free to commit more and more and more crimes. The double standard in dealing with America's races is glaring, but no one dares speak the truth. Why? Fear of reprisal, revenge, retribution, retaliation. White on black crime? Horrendous. And, of course, always a hate crime, right? Black on white crime? Yawn. Never mentioned as a hate crime that it actually is. And most time, the white victim is portrayed as the cause They'll say something like, he used the N-word and the black man became enraged and killed him. Sticks and stones, right? White on white crime? Not nearly as bad. And never sensationalized or overreported. Black on black crime? What crime? Non-existent. What the hell are you talking about? Black on black crime? Hush, hush. Sweep it under the rug. Why? Because the so-called black leaders told the media, don't mention black-on-black -black crime as being a problem. And the fact that if every black-on-black -black crime in New Orleans, in Dallas, in Memphis, in Atlanta, in Detroit, in Chicago, in Seattle, in any other major Democrat-run city were reported on the news, if every black-on-black -black crime was reported by the media, your local newscast would not be a 30-minute program. It would be a two to three hours long who's who and to be frank and honest, who cares? 
After all, the black community doesn't care. The black community in which these black-on-black crimes are so prevalent simply does not care. Those black lives do not matter because those black lives were not killed by an evil white supremacist. Sure, the black-on-black crime issue comes up once in a while, but it's usually only around election time when a black candidate is running against the white candidate. And then the black candidate gets on television and says things like, it's time for a candidate who thinks of us. After all, it is us against them. Or, now it's our turn. Nothing implied there, right? Blatant, obvious, targeted racism. But that is okay. The double standard. Can you imagine if a white candidate got on the television and said, the crime committed by blacks in this city is out of control. I'm running to put them all in jail. Every one of the criminals who commits a crime. Vote for me. I'm white and I'm right. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine for one second? The television station would be burned to the ground. That candidate would be shot in the streets. But it's okay when it goes the other way. And of course, I could go all day, but we are running out of time on this edition of the Truth Hurts program. So I'm going to stop it right here, and we'll continue this frank, open, honest discussion about the real problem in America and why America has become so afraid to speak the truth. The answer is quite obvious, and we'll continue on our next program. But for now, just understand, the truth hurts. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Audionautics.